Hey everyone, my name is Jake Eichard, and today's devotional comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go! So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, This is the only gospel account that mentions two demon-possessed men instead of just one. I find that interesting. It's also quoted as saying, They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Here, and as we will read on, the role of these demons is present. They want to kill and destroy. This is the embodiment of sin in our lives. The demons knew they had a shelf life. There was an appointed time in which they would be destroyed, and that time hadn't come yet. See, they asked Jesus if he would destroy them before the appointed time. They begged Jesus to drive them into the pigs, and that reminds us of a very important truth, that Jesus has authority over these demonic spirits. When the demons are allowed by Jesus to go to the pigs, they continue to fulfill this purpose, to kill and to destroy. Now, two observations about the reaction of the townspeople stand out to me. Number one, it's not all that surprising that they would be shocked and concerned by these events. You put yourself in their shoes, thinking about someone coming into your town and uh, changing things up, doing something that seemed miraculous, but also destroying property and livestock in the process of it. Second, though, and most importantly, the fear and anger from the events seems to drive them to want to push Jesus away instead of inviting him in. Remember that the demons were sent to the pigs because they were sent out of two men. Two men that were quoted as saying that they were so violent that no one could pass through. Were these men's values so diminished to the point that their lives were less important than the pigs? The loss of this monetary value in the village seems like it holds more weight than the miraculous salvation that Jesus had given them. This is the thought I would like to leave us with today. How much more valuable is the work of Jesus than our possessions? When the work of God requires a loss of value, are we quick to push back against it? In my opinion, the villagers missed out on what Jesus was doing in their midst. A miracle had been performed. Lives had been saved. Why would they push the one who performed these miracles away? Yet I see in myself the same desire. I so easily lose sight of the value of what God is doing in the lives of others when it doesn't also benefit me. I can become afraid or angry at what I don't understand. Now let's pray for God to give us eyes to see what he was doing and to celebrate it instead of pushing it away. God, we thank you for the miracles that you perform, the work that you're doing. Pray that you would continue to open our eyes to see what it is that you are doing in and around us. We pray that you would continue your work and that we would be able to be a part of it. We thank you for that opportunity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey everyone, my name is Jake Eigert, and today's devotionals come from Matthew chapter 9. Hey everyone, my name is Jake Eichard, and today's devotional comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. You may recognize this story from other Gospels as the man whose friends lowered him down through a hole in the roof to be healed by Jesus. This man was blessed to have great friends with great faith. The response of Jesus to their faith is what I want us to focus on today. Why did this man's friends bring him to Jesus? Presumably to heal his paralysis. But how did Jesus respond? By forgiving his sins. It was often thought in this era that the sins of a person were the reasons for any afflictions that came upon them. If they were born blind or deaf or paralyzed, it must be because of the sins of their parents or ancestors. If they came upon these disabilities in life, it must be because of their own sin. We don't know for sure if this man's ailment truly was a result of sin. We don't know for sure if this man's ailment truly was a result of sin. However, we can be assured that Jesus was intentional in telling him his sins are forgiven instead of just healing his physical ailment. What if this man had been racked with guilt over a sin he was reminded of every day by his paralysis? What if he constantly wondered what sin it was that caused it? By forgiving his sins, Jesus offered something far greater than just healing his physical limitations. He offered freedom. He offered hope. He offered a future. Of course, Jesus healed his physical ailment as well because, well, Jesus is just awesome. I can only imagine this man had been desiring healing from his paralysis for a long time. It probably dominated his thoughts and seemed like the one thing that might make everything okay. You might be f- familiar with something like this in your own life. As you reflect on this passage, does anything come to mind for you? Is there something you've been praying for for a while or even a short time that just feels like if you had it, everything else would kind of work out or would be okay? I want to share two encouragements with you today. The first is that Jesus is a healer. He is capable of performing miracles. The miracle you desire, just as the healed, he is capable of performing miracles. The miracle you desire, just as he healed the paralyzed. What in the world? He is capable of performing miracles. He can perform the miracle you desire, just as he healed the paralyzed man. Don't lose hope. The second is that by forgiving your sins, Jesus has already performed the greatest miracle he could for you. The forgiveness of our sins and opportunity to walk in new life in relationship to God is worth more than anything that we could be offered on earth. Find some time to shift your focus from the thing you may not have gotten yet and remember God's faithfulness and goodness today. He has already provided you with so much. God, I want to thank you today for this provision that you have given us, for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray that each and every person listening to this might find some hope and joy in that statement. God, that you are a wonderful healer. You perform miracles, and one of those miracles is that you have found a way to create space for relationship between us and God, to heal our brokenness, and to bring us close to you.
We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey everyone, my name is Jake Eichert, and today's devotional comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew doesn't indicate in his gospel that there was much pushback from the other disciples about Jesus asking him to be a disciple, but we can certainly guess there would be. As a tax collector, Matthew was a public enemy of the Jews a sellout, a traitor to his own people, a man who has robbed his own people to finance their oppressors and line his own pockets. As a tax collector, Matthew would have been outcast from society. He couldn't be a witness in a Jewish court, he couldn't attend the synagogue for worship, and he was disgraced from his family. Yet Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples. The sinners mentioned as eating with Jesus were most likely individuals who made a profession out of sinful activity or were known to not be faithful to the Jewish religious customs. Interestingly, Matthew seems to be the gateway to this group of tax collectors and sinners, a group that may never take an invitation to sit down with a priest, rabbi, or other religious teacher, not that they would invite them anyway. But take a moment to reflect on this. Oftentimes in our lives, the sinful habits we had before becoming a Christian cause us shame and guilt, but they also create relationships and opportunities with others who don't know Jesus. Our past failures and lifestyle choices can open doors for us to share the gospel with those who others may not be able to have a chance with. The Pharisees have written these sinners and tax collectors off as unworthy of their time and energy. They would never face the social criticism of being seen in public with a group like this. Could you imagine a group like that in your own life? Picture a table of people that your boss or family members would be surprised or even concerned to see you eating with. If you're still struggling to picture it, consider viewing it this way. Finish this statement. No one could ever be a Christian and a blank. Who comes to mind? Would you ever find yourself sitting at a table with them? I would imagine there were plenty of Jewish people who thought no one could ever be a tax collector and be right with God. I use this illustration because it's not a far leap to say that a Jewish religious leader would be 100% confident that there was no way a prostitute or tax collector would enter the kingdom of God. Yet that's exactly who Jesus targets. The lowly, the despised, the poor, the morally broken, the physically broken, the least of society. Consider the contrast between how Jesus and the Pharisees view these people. In the Pharisees' eyes, they are unworthy, immoral, barely human. To Jesus, they are lost sheep in need of a shepherd. As you go throughout your day, would you consider intentionally trying to see the world through the eyes of Jesus? Every person has value. Every person needs to be shown love. Would you even go as far as to invite someone to your table to take advantage of the opportunity you have to share the love of Jesus with them, an opportunity 
that no one else may have. God, as we go throughout our days today, would your spirit be present with us? God, would we see people the way that you see them? Would we take opportunities to love and to be generous with fellow human beings? And Lord, would we not see others as either a plus or minus for our social standing, but would we see all as opportunities to share your love and grace and mercy with? We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey everyone, my name is Jake Eichert, and today's devotional comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wineskin. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. At first reading, this passage can feel like Jesus is speaking in riddles, especially to a modern-day reader. John's disciples begin with a very reasonable question. Fasting was a common practice in order to seek special revelation from God or show humility. Why wouldn't Jesus's... Why wouldn't religious Jews practice such a custom? Why wouldn't a good Jewish teacher encourage them to do so? John's ministry was one of humble repentance and his disciples fasted to reflect this. Although the Pharisees had made a habit of fasting in public to show their religious superiority, it was a practice intended to mourn the current standing of the Jewish people and ask God for the Messiah to come. This gives us some insight into Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to fast like these men because they aren't mourning their current state or looking for the Messiah. He is here. He also doesn't encourage them to fast because he is doing something new. The current system is being overturned. Strict obedience to the law is no longer the way to salvation. His new way of teaching or new wine won't fit into that old system or old wineskin. Instead, his new teaching requires a new system, a system of generosity and care for others, a community of people that care for each other more than themselves and seek the good of all. I think today we can take two things away from this. First, what a great gift this new teaching of Jesus is. We have a way of relating to God that goes beyond the rules of the law and opens the door to relationship with him in a new way. Jesus offers good news to us that he has made a way to be saved through belief in him. Praise God for this new thing. Second, as Jesus himself said, the time will come when he is taken and then there will be a reason to fast again. Although so many good things for us were accomplished by Jesus, the loss of him does give us a reason to mourn. Fasting is a great practice to seek God and remember that we aren't where we want to be. Maybe this week or weekend would be a good opportunity for you to put this practice into place. Find some time in your day to skip a meal and intentionally spend that time with God. You could spend time reading your Bible, spend time in meditation or prayer, or just silence and solitude. 
Whatever it may, whatever it looks like for you, I pray that you would find time to take part in this practice and mourn the loss of the Savior for now, but to look forward to his coming back. God, we do thank you for the opportunity that Jesus came into the world to offer us salvation, that he was doing something new. I pray that you would open our eyes and remind us of this. Maybe we are in a season right now where we've slipped into a pattern of legalism or beating ourselves up over all the things that we don't do correctly. I pray that we'd be reminded of this new way, that by putting our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, and we can look forward to his return and the forever that we get to spend in his kingdom. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey everyone, my name is Jake Eichard, and today's devotional comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman, who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread all throughout the region. While he was saying this is how this passage begins. If you missed yesterday's devotional, Jesus has just finished explaining why his disciples do not practice fasting. This passage is filled with faith, but from two very different places. Let's take a moment to compare these oppor- Let's take a moment to compare these two opportunities Jesus has to heal. The first person who approaches him asks for his daughter to be raised from the dead. In fact, he even asked Jesus to put his hands on her to heal her. This is significant in many ways. First, the man is a leader of the synagogue, a high-ranking religious leader. He was willing to put his position on the line to show faith in Jesus and have his daughter healed. It's also significant that he asked Jesus to touch a dead person, as this would make Jesus unclean by Jewish law. Maybe he understood that Jesus was doing something new in his teaching to John's disciples and felt like he could interrupt to ask for this healing. The second person is a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. The bleeding would also have made her unclean to enter into the synagogue. Imagine 12 years of being unable to enter a place of worship with others. Maybe the synagogue leader leading Jesus to his home had even seen her around and stopped her from coming into his synagogue due to her condition. 
Jesus also by touching this woman would have been seen as unclean. I don't think it's a coincidence that we get these two stories of Jesus healing people that would have otherwise made him unclean directly after he announces that he is doing something new, that the law and the covenant of the law was changing. He placed the opportunity to love and care for these individuals ahead of the letter of the law. In both of these instances, the individuals seeking healing showed great faith, but Jesus is showing something greater. He is willing to go into the unclean, messy places to heal and restore. He is willing to pause and be interrupted in order to care for those in need. Where might you need Jesus to enter into your brokenness to heal and restore? Is there any part of your life that you still believe may be too far gone to be saved or forgiven? Do you know that Jesus wants to walk into and through the mess of our lives with us? Would you allow him to work in your life today? Would you give all of yourself over to him, trusting that he is worthy of taking care of you? Let's pray. Jesus, again, I just thank you for what you have done, for your sacrifice on the cross. I pray that we would be reminded today that you are not a God who walks away from us in our time of need or in our season of brokenness. Lord, that you want to step into the mess and brokenness of our lives and to heal and to restore those places. Lord, I pray as we journey with you in our walk, um, Lord, I pray as we walk with you and learn to be disciples of yours, that we would grow in our humility towards you, that we would confess our sin to you and allow you to work in these broken places. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.